millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. How are you going to do this research? Like the only example that springs to mind, you might be familiar with the China study, which looked at essentially the, the death records of the Chinese population. And it was a book, I think, written by T. Colin Campbell. And that long story short, they established links between various diseases and causes of death, essentially, and ultimately ended up being actually very strong to diet. I'm thinking maybe you might need to do something on that sort of scale, like actually physically look at the death records across massive areas and mm. see if there's a, a trend between microplastic contamination in various areas and see if there's, I guess, decreased or increased rates of various ailments. But like you said, like how do you otherwise do this experiment? Because there's no control study. There's no zero plastic contamination environment or, or human mm. um, that you can sort of study. And obviously we're talking about decades-long studies as well to try and establish trends. Yeah, and, and you've got this problem of what's called a nuisance variable. So what you might mm. want to do is compare urban people who are exposed mm. to higher levels of plastic to rural people who are still exposed to plastic but it's lower. But mm. then urban people are also exposed to air pollution through cars. Yeah. They might have more stressful work environments, whereas mm. rural people are also more exposed to pollen and uh, other things. Mm. And so the populations are so different that if you see a difference, it's hard to distinguish what's causing it. I do think, and I really want to do this, and there is a grant scheme to do it, is to look at textile workers. Because mm. if we can really have a deep down look at their, we can extract some of the fluid from their lungs, for example, in a painless assay called a lavage, we can put a little bit of saline down and suck it back up and then look to see how much plastic's in there. Are there more inflammatory signaling molecules? Because that one group of people who work, imagine working in a synthetic mm, clothing yeah. textile factory your whole life, are going to have huge exposure to those microplastics. So that's something I really want to do. And there is some schemes where Australia and Bangladesh and Australia and India collaborate. And I think that's a really good opportunity for some research going forward. And I guess in the absence of having that that lung extraction and, and data, anecdotally, you'd expect that textile workers would have higher concentrations of microplastic in their in their lungs. But is, is there any data to indicate that they have different rates of disease? Just that 1977 study that wow. showed that they had low peak airflow. So, you know, when you do that huff test as a kid yeah. to test if you've got asthma, they had really low 
low peak flow. So their breathing was labored and shallow is what you can imagine. And something that does cause that is scar tissue because then mm. you can't get that elastic spring in your lungs mm. to get that airflow coming out. And so a buildup of scar tissue increases that air resistance. Yeah, and so then lowers the air coming out of your lungs. So there's a few... Like, you feel a little bit like on those movies with conspiracy theorists who are putting yeah. pins and boards and tying yeah. string one to another. So you feel a bit like that. And I would just love to do the good study yeah. that puts the nail in the coffin because we know we know all this correlative stuff and these animal models and the preclinical data. We have all those connections. And we just need to start doing those big studies. And then, you know what we need, if I'm honest with you, we need governments mm. to introduce strong policy. We need governments to go, okay, now we know that these plastics make, like, it seems clear as day to me that we shouldn't have plastic clothing for babies, right? You, you, before mm. their lungs have even matured, you're now exposing them to potentially inflammatory particulates. I will say this is early research, so I don't want to create a panic. But to me, we need to know that answer so we can then make the policy to stop this potentially harmful thing that we're doing. And we need brave politicians, and we've got a poor history when it comes to it, right? We're heading yeah. towards a global warming, uh, a global warming catastrophe at a million miles an hour, and we're only putting down yeah. the accelerator as we open more coal mines. So, yeah. yeah, it's a bit frustrating. I think a bit like a Greta Thunberg, we need a, a ground up movement because we do live in a democracy, and if everybody starts singing this chorus, you know, we need to deal with the plastic issue, the pollution issue, hmm. and the CO two issue then maybe we will get braver politicians because they know they'll get thrown out. They'll get elected yeah. out. And actually, this I don't know if you don't mind tangents. but oh, I um, love tangents. They're actually <laughs> interconnected, right? Because when you, I want you to think about this. I want a Coke bottle made out of plastic, right? Is yeah. it economically viable for you to go into the Gulf of Mexico with uh, a billion-dollar piece of equipment for a deep-sea drilling to pull out oil mm. from kilometers below the ocean to turn that oil into plastic? And the answer is no, right? Mm. The reason why plastic is cheap is because it's produced from a byproduct. It's an accident. It's a byproduct of the petrol industry. They want petrol, and then they've got now we've got this leftover chemicals that we can't put into petrol, and it's basically free. We're either going to chuck these chemicals out or we turn them into something. And so they turn them into plastic. And this is mm. why recycling isn't working because it's more expensive mm. to recycle than it is to just create more of this byproduct and turn it into plastic. But if we shut down the petrol industry and we say we don't want any more petrol, suddenly it's not economically viable to make stuff out of plastic as well. It's now more economically viable to do, you know, alternatives, make containers out of canola oil or something like that, for example. Three points I'd like to make. Number one, yeah, we don't need to have the scientific answers ready to rock and roll right now. Like uh, there's, a, there's a little thing that uh, I learned at university, I'm sure it was the same thing for, for you, uh, Jack, was the precautionary principle. If you're in doubt about the potential implications or, or consequences of an action or a practice, but they look a bit uh, scary and have a high likelihood of having some significant negative impacts, you, you don't do that thing. Mm. Um, so that's number one. Number two, we probably shouldn't forget about the fact that the petrochemical industry are hardly in the business of, of you know, just stopping uh, plastic production. So there's some significant vested interest around just essentially keeping the status quo there's always a vested interest to keep things the way they are. So mm -hmm. it's obviously going to be a very difficult thing to actually do to essentially 
try to stem the production of plastic. But the third thing I'd say is that, you know, the, the actions of a, of a few motivated individuals can change the world. And essentially, that's how things have always happened anyway. I guess one of the purposes of this podcast and I guess other sort of communication methods which I've, I've seen you be a part of is essentially to tell this story. And I think we're probably not telling the story as well as we as we really need to. We, you talked about the sort of minding the gap and there's a significant gap between using something and realizing it's bad. But I think one of the, one of the issues with plastic is that it, it's not going to go away anytime soon, at least for if, when we stopped using CFCs, you know, we, we gave the uh, ozone layer ability to uh, some time to recover. Same thing with cigarette smokes. You know, we, we sort of, we, if you stop smoking, your lungs actually do sort of, um, you know, uh, get back to some sort of normality or at least recover. But with plastics, as you've indicated, the plastics don't go anywhere. If anything, that they, they get worse. So if a kilo of plastic enters the marine environment, it's not going to break down and decompose. It's going to actually break up. And the consequences of that kilo of plastic will be actually increasing over time and not decreasing. So I think the biggest drama we have with plastic is the fact that it is such a great product that doesn't break down and mm. will be in the environment for a long time. And we shouldn't forget about the fact that plastic is, whilst we, you might, your research might find that plastic's actually no, no dramas at all, but the reality is plastic's are like a little sponge for a whole bunch of other contaminants mm. that can attach itself, which could equally or more severely be causing uh, just as much harm as the plastic itself. Yeah, we have, we have a tiny little bit of research on that where Dr. Jennifer Laver is one of my collaborators and Dr. Alex Bond, they went out and collected environmental plastics. And then I looked to see, is that more inflammatory or less inflammatory than the most uh, inflammatory pure plastic? So it's just pure mm. plastic. It hasn't absorbed yeah. any chemicals or anything. And they were. Environmental plastics were even more inflammatory. Yeah. And Man, just imagine being a filter feeder in the ocean right now. I just, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. Yeah. And I guess that's another point when you, when you talked about the precautionary tale. I remember mm. seeing this great cartoon, and it was actually about global warming. It talked about how if we cut out uh, using petrochemicals, we forget they actually contribute hugely to lung diseases and pollution. Mm separate from global warming and someone mm. in the audience stands up and says, but what if we do all these beneficial things for the world and global <laughs> warming isn't real? And it's true. We should do these yeah. things whether or not global warming is real. Global warming is 100% real, but we yeah. should be stopping these things anyway. And that's yeah. the same with, with plastics. On no one's spreadsheet, there is no scientist in the world that's saying plastic pollution is beneficial to anything. So mm. whether, like, and maybe human impacts are minor and environmental plastics are massive, but maybe human impacts are also massive, there is huge motivation from every avenue to quit plastics as much as possible as well. And it's really hard. It is hard. Mm. Like, uh, in one of my presentations, I do, like, I challenge you to come up with a piece of technology that's better than the plastic bag. The plastic bag yeah. weighs less than five grams, but it can carry 20 kilos. And it's so tiny that you can stack millions in one shipping container. It's, it's mm. a phenomenal piece of technology. And it's, so it's hard to stop. It's so convenient <laughs> to stop. Yeah. But we need to. I think we've learned from this pandemic, actually. So during this pandemic, no one's flying anywhere. Everyone's staying at home, so no one's getting in their car, right? You know, for three months of the year, the world just stopped. Yeah. And global warming, uh, CO2 emissions reduced by 8%. And so I think what we can see from that is that a ground-level movement where we stop using plastic bags, we stop using plastic, 
may not have a massive effect. What we need is to do that, but we also need to be activists and demand our politicians act on this issue because things Mm. won't change until policy changes. Australia could shut down all its coal power plants, but they're opening up coal mines to ship to China, and we all live under the same atmosphere. So we need brave policy to tackle this issue, and I don't think us switching from a plastic bag to a cotton bag is the only solution. The solution is we need to attack it on a personal level, Mm. on an activist level, and a politician level. We need to push politicians towards brave policy around this issue. I'd go as far as say we also need to talk to the, the plastic producers as well. Like uh, we only get to vote for our politicians say once every three to five years, but yeah. every time we uh, consume a product like a, a drink or a or a takeaway food item, we're, we're voting with our mm. with our dollar. And I think, yeah. uh, for example, Coca Cola aren't in the business of making Coca Cola; they're in the business of making money. Mm. So if people are essentially demanding change by the, their actions, their own personal actions. For example, choosing not to buy Coca-Cola released out of a plastic container. I'm sure I'll be sued by Coca-Cola as a side note as a, as a result of this podcast, but that's okay. I'm ready. Uh, but look, we, uh, what I'm saying is that we will probably need to be actually talking to the the, the the key plastic producers in this in this space as well. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, there's, they're certainly not innocent in this space. Like, for for example, some states in Australia have tried to bring in those 10 cent recycling mm-hmm. policies. Uh, and what you may not know, that 10 cents comes from the drink company. So if mm. you return that plastic bottle, the legislation says Coca-Cola now pays you 10 cents for returning that plastic bottle. And uh, Coca-Cola and other companies like that have done a lot of lobbying to block yeah. the policies coming through, and they're now not coming through. And there's huge efforts by by those companies to block those kinds of policies through. And what it is, is, is called internalization. When they produce a plastic bottle, That is a cost to society. We then have to deal with it, either in the ocean or in the rubbish heap. That is a cost, and we're paying for it, not the company, but it is a cost, Mm. and the company should be paying for it. It's called internalization of cost. So even if you're not a left-winger and you don't like strong anti-corporation policies and you're a right-winger, you might believe in you know, internalizing those costs so the free market can find solutions, you know, Mm. and we need to be doing everything I think we can. I think we're in a climate emergency and we're in a pollution emergency and we need to be having the bravest. Like, I live in Seven Mile Beach, Hobart. It is a beautiful spot in the middle of nowhere. We saw Aurora Australis yesterday um, just dancing Mm. in the sky. And as part of a, a little movement we do plastic picking up and in 30 mm. minutes i picked up 100 pieces of plastic on this oh beach my Lord. Yeah. and you're like we're in the think about how far away tasmania is from the rest of the world and how far that beach is away from even mm. an urban population and yeah. we're drowning in plastic this, the whole globe is drowning in plastic and we need to tackle it like it's an emergency because it is an emergency ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, you talked about legislation. One, one way I've, I've seen significant change in quick succession is uh, essentially companies being sued. So being held liable for the damage that they've caused. And you only have to look at various contaminants like the DDTs. More recently, PFAS, where companies are, that have actually produced these contaminants or, or products have essentially been held legally responsible and have essentially been forced to pay gazillions of dollars in compensation to the victims uh, that have suffered from various ailments as a result of contamination from their pollutants. Mm. Potentially, that might be the next step for plastic. Uh, like yeah. and 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 the the foundation of that. I hate to bring this back to my own stuff is research yeah. because yeah. if if we can research it for you know there's a few projects I'm considering, and one example is that we know that if you inflamed the lungs, if you inflame anything, you increase the prevalence of autoimmune diseases, and it's it's a little bit interesting. Ba- basically, you need a little bit of inflammation in order to. <laughs> Oh, this is a tough one to explain. Okay, so here we go. I'm sure you're the man for the job, though, uh, Jack, you know. Here we go. Here we go. When we do vaccinations, right, when we do vaccinations, we put a little something in that to induce inflammation so your body can go, aha, I've seen inflammation and I've seen this protein that's similar to SARS-CoV-2, for example, COVID-19. So then it puts those two things together and says SARS-CoV-2 was causing tissue damage and inflammation. Therefore, I will remember it. So when it next comes in, I will attack it and kill it, right? Mm -hmm. And an autoimmune disease is when we get confused. We think something that our body produces is an enemy. And so we've tied something our body produces with inflammation, and we're now producing a massive inflammatory response to it. Allergies are similar. If you take peanut butter and you get inflammation, then maybe your body will confuse the two and think peanut butter is a disease, and so it will produce a massive inflammatory response next time you get exposed to peanut butter. Autoimmune diseases and allergies have been massively increasing. If you talk, mm-hmm. if you talk yeah. to your parent, ask them how many people asked for allergic to peanuts, they'll say none. They didn't yeah. know anyone in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Now it's, it's somewhere around 10%. So it's increased massively, right? So we all now know my my child's allergic to tree nuts. Those are on the rise and we don't know why. And one thing is the thing that we put in vaccines to induce an inflammatory response induces the same inflammatory response that plastics induce. So it's kind of like, we call it an adjuvant. It's kind of like we're taking in something that might tell our body that everything else we take in is a disease. So we need to be worried because we've got this chronic inflammation going on. It could randomly get tied to other signals. So we've got plastic induced inflammation and we eat peanut butter. Perhaps those two are getting tied together. And that's some of the research that I'm undertaking right now and hoping to establish is the rise in asthma, which is another thing. If you ask your parents how many kids had asthma back then and how many kids have asthma now, it's amazing. Maybe asthma, which um, is one of those inflammatory allergic responses, can be tied to microplastics or other pollution. Like we know that asthma goes up around highways because of diesel particulates that are being produced 
by the highway. So perhaps plastics is another source of that. And so if we can do all that research and start tying these things together, then you have a case for litigation. Let's bring these companies, because they didn't do the research. You know, Coca-Cola switched from a glass bottle to a plastic bottle without asking anyone, right? And perhaps that research should have been done. Wow, yeah, wow. My mind is exploding and I suspect the uh, listeners are... uh sort of uh, gasping as well. But uh, I guess the next step was uh, this research. So I'm I'm just really actually almost scared for your health and safety as an individual. Because imagine if you you were to come out and say, hey, I've actually, uh, or or some of your research was finding, oh, there's a strong link between X disease, say, I don't know, lung cancer as as a one example, and microplastic contamination. Just as one example, the implications to plastic manufacturers and I guess society would be ginormous. That's just one. Uh, um, I've guess. never thought about it until now. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't want you to stop this research, but I yeah, guess. I won't. Two questions. When should we expect some actually, uh, I guess, some of the findings of this research? But before that, you've obviously got a, some sort of hunch or feeling that there is going to be a strong link between key diseases and ailments and microplastic contamination. Is that, is that a fair call? Like, I, I know as a scientist, you want to have all the facts and the figures and the, and the, the double blind control studies and et cetera. But but is your hunch that we are going to see a strong link between human health and microplastic contamination? So I think building the human health link is going to be a, a slow process. You know, it might be 10 yep. years before we actually yep. can draw those strong lines in, in human conditions. My first research should be coming out very soon in, in the next few months, probably the next three months. And that's preliminary. That's plastics cause inflammation. It does cause inflammation in the lungs. And my next thing, which is probably a next three-year time span, is how does it contribute to diseases, including lung cancer, including lung function, so reduced lung function, you know, that peak flow that we talked about, yeah. and as well as allergies. I'm doing some really interesting studies where we co-administer plastics and dust mites, which mm. is a huge trigger for asthma. So um, will that tie those two signals together so now the body thinks dust mites are a deadly pathogen so it needs to have a massive inflammatory response to it which is very similar to asthma and so that will probably be um, coming out in sort of two to three years time from now but we're very excited about that research we are actually recruiting phd students so if there are any listeners out there who have done an honors or a master's and are interested in doing a phd in these topics get in touch we have a lot of university students tuning into this show. Like, so, oh, that'd be I, great. Like, we, yeah. So, uh, again, I get a lot of uh, inquiries from university students and recently graduated engineers and scientists saying that they love the show and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, look, uh, there you go. If, if people are interested in, 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 I guess, getting in contact with you, Jack, how, how do they do that? So, I do have a website, which is a, a very easy thing to go to. It's jackorty.com. And my email is jack.orty at utas.a. No, .edu.au, and AUTY is A-U-T-Y. And I'm sure we'll include all these details in the show notes. But I guess, wow, honestly, it's been such a fascinating chat. But I guess I'm, I'm also intrigued by your comment around your, your newborn uh, baby boy. Yeah, you were saying how you've, you've changed your own sort of domestic practices, shall we say, uh, in mm. response to some of your, I guess, hunches and, and research findings. So how do you recommend others sort of uh, mitigate microplastic contamination in their own day-to-day lives? 
So the number one, and you mentioned this earlier, the number one is materials. If you're installing a new carpet, try get a pure wool carpet. Those are totally available, and we just did that. If you're buying clothes, try get cotton or wool clothes. Because our body can break down these biological things because they're biological. Our body is designed to break down and deal with these things all the time. Another thing to think about is human evolution. We evolved in the presence of organic textiles, right? And and sheepskin and clothing. We've been wearing for tens of thousands of years and our body's evolved with it. But our body hasn't evolved with plastic. And so just Every purchase, if there is a natural material option, try go with that option. And, uh, you know, I th- you mentioned consumer choice is a strong driver of company behavior. It's a bit like veganism. It's a bit hard to 100% commit to veganism. But if you can commit to reducing your meat intake and if you can commit to reducing your plastics and, and starting with the easiest stuff and then building up, you actually build momentum in that activism. And so just start with baby steps if you if you feel like it's too much of a step. But like clothing is a really easy one. You can look at clothing. There's almost always a natural material option. I will say the one thing is like cycling clothing. I know. I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Lycra and waterproof jackets are really hard to find alternatives for. Yeah. In terms of the synthetic versions. There is some like things like swan dry, which is a wool, which is naturally treated with a a lanolin oil. And that oil helps bead water off. So Mm. they're, they're kind of a waterproof jacket. If it's torrential, you're in trouble. But if it's just a a sprinkling of rain, uh, you'll be fine. And so I think just try and make those decisions. Know that your water drink bottle, if it's made of plastic, is releasing plastic and leachates into that water. And so if you can, use glass bottles. I've switched to using glass bottles for for my water and stuff like that. So it's it's tough, but just taking those baby steps and making those decisions where you can towards natural products. You mentioned uh, the word veganism, and it's actually generally a, a hot topic on the show because I'm a, I'm a passionate uh, vegan myself, and over six years vegan now, and many years vegetarian. But and I was really interested with your sort of discussions around the links to inflammation and disease because one thing that I sort of talk about is that uh, a plant whole food plant based diet reduces inflammation in the body and subsequently reduces a whole bunch of it seems to be a whole bunch of uh, uh, diseases and ailments, or at least the, the the risk of these diseases and ailments. So. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Michael Greger, who's got a fantastic book, talks about, it's called How Not to Die. It basically takes the top 20 diseases and causes of death and talks about how to mitigate them. And it is all almost always about reducing inflammation via a, a whole food plant-based diet. So it's just interesting that sort of you've made the link also with plastic uh, mm. microplastics causing inflammation, yeah, which I, I find fascinating. I, I this whole this whole conversation, like I, I didn't actually prepare much in the lead up to this presentation because I I'd seen a couple of your videos. I knew you were sort of the person who could you could have your own podcast series. And I could basically just step aside and let you talk for hours. Yeah, I mean, you were free two hours. I'd be happy to just keep going. <laughs> well, can I tell you, Jack? If it's all if it's it's okay with you, we'll have to get you back on mm, to talk absolutely. about uh, when, when you've got your uh, research uh, findings and papers coming out we would absolutely love to have you on the show again but can i tell you what this this has been an amazing chat i uh, yeah i have thoroughly enjoyed it and, and like i said at the start like you're a university lecturer but you must be the the the, the all the students favorite lecturer because you, you explain things so well and obviously with so much passion and enthusiasm like can i tell you when i went to university i didn't have anyone with your mojo uh on campus so I, i'm sure you've got a sort of a a throng of uh, fans on the uh, on the campus grounds. 
I will say I had a class of 40 and I had a one position to do a volunteer summer of studentship and I had 15 students apply, which was apparently a departmental record. <laughs> I felt terrible having to say no to 14 of them. Yeah. But it was basically free labor. And I was like, this is volunteer. Like, what are you guys doing? But yeah, it was great. It's great having those students come through and passion. I think you've got to have passion for it. Honestly, it's a tough job. You certainly get paid more if you went off and were a lawyer or an accountant or something like that. But okay. Um, you've got to be a passion for it. And uh, I, I love my job, teaching the next generation of scientists as well as doing research. And, you know, I, I tell you what, there's, there's a pitch to anyone wanting to be a scientist. It is an amazing feeling. You know, on that Friday night when I'd done the nail file on the piece of plastic, <laughs> it is an amazing feeling knowing right now I'm the only human in the world that knows the one protein that recognizes that plastic. So the, the little receptor in the cell is a little protein. And I know now, because I, I put a drug in that blocked that, I'm the only person in the world that knows this relationship right now. And it's such an amazing, exciting feeling. It doesn't happen that often. It's probably happened twice in my career. It is an amazing feeling to come up with a discovery like that. But that's that's total bragging rights. I, I reckon that's pretty cool. And I reckon your Friday afternoons uh, are far more productive than uh, 99.99% of the population. So on that, uh, well done. But certainly uh, on behalf of, uh, of the listeners and and OSHA Protect, thank you so much for coming on this show. It's Like mm-hmm. I said, it's been a fascinating chat. Well done on your research to date. You've we've only really scraped the surface on some of the research, but it's it really is interesting. I certainly encourage everyone to jump on that Jack Audie website. You've got some really, I guess, really easy to understand videos and sort of uh, illustrations, which are, are really fascinating. And we didn't even talk about some of the other things that are on that website. But uh, so I definitely encourage people to jump on the Jack Audie website and then and learn more about that. And obviously, if you're keen to undertake a PhD or some other research with yep. Jack, you know how to uh, get in touch absolutely jack thank you so much for your time today it's been fantastic i really appreciate it it has been a lot of fun coming on the podcast thanks for listening to the ocean protect podcast if you'd like to find out more about us and what we do check us out at oceanprotect.com.au